Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Uh, Republicans have finally chosen a Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, out of Louisiana, uh, I've known Congressman Johnson for quite some time, and while he and I differ a little bit as it pertains to former President Trump, uh, I do think he's a good man. We just vehemently disagree on one particular topic, and that's okay because in America you're entitled to disagree. Uh, but we're not talking about that topic today. We're talking about a topic that has concerned me over the past several weeks, ever since Hamas murdered over 1,400 uh, Israelis. Uh, sl- slain, slaughtered Jewish individuals. It has caused the entire international community to focus its attention on the conflict. Uh, but what's even more troubling is the level of prevailing anti-Semitic rhetoric and protests that we're seeing in the United States. We're seeing it from members of Congress. We're seeing it from college professors. And unfortunately, we're seeing it in a growing number of our young people on college campuses. Well, I wanted to bring on a dear friend of mine who also happens to be a Jewish brother, uh, Joel Rubin. He's a friend of the show, a Democrat running for Congress in Maryland's sixth congressional district. He's also the former Obama deputy assistant secretary of state. He's a national security expert, a Jewish leader, and he's also a fellow creator on Center Clip. And as you know, this Saturday is um, my Center Clip. Saturday, so make sure you go to the website and check out Center Clip for all things political. It is a great website, and I got a feeling you'll like it. So that's centerclip.com. Again, that's centerclip.com. Joe, welcome to the show. Oh, sure, Michael. It's always exciting to be talking to you, and thank you for including me on this uh, this really robust uh, discussion topic. Oh, my no, God. No, thank you, man. I think I appreciate you for making this time uh, to discuss this topic with me. Joe, before I ask any questions, just let me get your initial thoughts on the attack from Hamas and what you're seeing across the United States just as a Jewish man, as a Jewish American, as a father. And, And I'm not saying that because... Judaism is a prevailing and only component of you that matters. That's not what I'm saying. I want to be clear about that. Yeah. Uh, but it is an important uh, aspect of, of who you are any more than me being black is an important aspect of who I am, right? <laughs> and so tell me just what, what are you feeling? What are your friends feeling, your family? A combination of fear and rage. That's what we're all feeling. So your setup was was very humbling uh, in introducing me to your audience and and thank you for it. And and just to add a little more, you know, between the lines of of my bio, uh, I am a fifth generation American. My great grandparents came here in the early 1900s as uh, young, young uh, uh, teens, basically to the United States. 
uh, with their family from Eastern Europe to flee the pogroms. Those were um, essentially attacks against Jewish communities across Europe uh, done by Russian leaders, by the czar, by communities that just went and slaughtered Jews from village to village. So my family's been here for about 120 years, you know, fifth generation American. My grandparents were born here and my father was in the military. My grandfather served in World War II. Uh, he and his his uh, five other brothers were in, in World War II fighting uh, for the United States against the, the Nazis. And so that's sort of the arc of the history of my family. And then uh, in Jewish history, of course, during that period, there was the Holocaust and the state of Israel's founding. And we have a lot of family in Israel that my great-grandfather, the immigrant, went to find after the Holocaust and recover, uh, essentially support and help them uh, survive after the Holocaust, uh, found our family there, and, and we're still in touch. And so my sort of mindset is spanning 100, 120 years of Jewish life. And from the immigration and fleeing violence in Europe to the stories of the Holocaust, to the founding of the state of Israel, to today, the modern Jewish life and world that we live in. And, and I grew up in Pittsburgh, which was the scene of the most horrific mass murder of Jews in the United States uh, in my neighborhood in Squirrel Hill. Tomorrow is the fifth anniversary of that, uh, Friday the 27th, the fifth anniversary of the slaughter of Jews at the Tree of Life Synagogue. So I've really kind of seen seen it uh, firsthand and experienced it. And I have three young daughters uh, in, in, in Maryland. Uh, they're teenagers and they're, they're experiencing life as, a, as mixed race children, uh, Jewish, Buddhist, uh, mixed and, and engaged in a lot of different cultural stuff. And so for me, to see what's happening now is so um, stunning because it, it brings all these threads together for the Jewish community to have uh, seen the watching the, the terrorist attack, the assault, the unprovoked assault by terrorists crossing a border to murder young women and men, children, babies, beheaded, uh, Holocaust uh, survivors uh, kidnapped and stolen and taken into Gaza. Uh, this brought up all that memory that I was referring to. This brought up our sort of cultural DNA of deep fear of pogroms and slaughter that we fled and then of Holocaust and genocide. And then you combine that with the, the chance today now of from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free uh, of language of annihilation of the state of Israel, of a second Holocaust, of Jewish students now across the United States being harassed because they're Jewish. Um, this is deeply disturbing and uh, traumatic for American Jews who have a deep connection to and place in the American society and have worked very hard to build a more open, progressive, tolerant, religiously diverse country. Uh, it mm -hmm. is a real shock to our system. And so uh, I'll close by saying I'm disappointed. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I've been a longtime advocate for American diplomacy around the world and peace. I've worked in Jewish organizations as well as in national security work. I've never seen anything like this. And I think our community now is very much in a, in a, a space that is uniquely, um, uniquely just frustrated and stunned 
and bitter right now about what's taking place. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Joe, when you see, yeah, the one professor out of New York who made some very incendiary remarks that he stated was taken out of context. Yeah, no, um, it wasn't. There's video of it. Yeah, yeah, there's a video. I want to get Sorry, your thoughts. On you you. said that the Palestinian people should be happy about what occurred. When you hear rhetoric and language like that coming from academics who are charged with educating and preparing the next generation, not in terms of what to think, but how to be objective and methodical thinkers to formulate ideas and assessments on their own. Do you think that's happening when we hear that type of rhetoric? Or are you concerned? What should parents do? Is there anything we could do as a society to have a level of balance coming from academics who a lot of uh, young people look up to? I mean, it's really funny, you know, Sir Michael, for me right now to communicate in the way I'm about to communicate. Uh, I come from the progressive side of the Democratic Party in my politics. I have been an active voice for supporting diplomacy uh, between Israel and the Palestinians, a two-state solution as the goal where Palestinians have a Palestine, have a state, have independence and, and security they deserve. And that's good for the long-term security of Israel. I was the Jewish outreach director for the Bernie Sanders presidential campaign, working in coalition with diverse uh, partners on issues of social justice and peace and the kind of vision of an America that uh, promotes peace and tolerance and understanding. What I'm seeing and what we're watching and witnessing at the college campuses is the antithesis of that. It's, the kind of hate and anger that people from my side of the aisle, considering, you know, you're, you know, we'll talk Republican Democrats, right. From mm -hmm, my side mm -hmm. of the aisle, our smug side loves to point to the Republicans and the white supremacists and say, they're the haters. They're the haters. Well, guess what? It seems like hate has a lot of homes these days. And that kind of language that you're describing at universities of singling out individuals because they're Jewish mm -hmm. is hate speech. And it doesn't matter who's speaking it. 
It's just hate. You don't get a pass because you're a liberal professor. If you're trafficking in glorifying the mass murder of civilians, that's just hate. And that's what that professor was doing. And so it's sort of like pent up frustration and, 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 and it's sort of bottled up, you know, anger at Israel. Um, now Israel is getting sucked into the language of global human rights and anti-colonial activity and language like that, which is, is I find surreal because Israel is anything but a colonial enterprise. If anything, it's the sort of like, like opposite of colonialism. Jews, Jews were wandering for a couple of thousand years before we were able to get a toehold in a, a place of survival after the Holocaust. This is not an implant of foreign occupation. Jews are indigenous to the land of Israel. And here it is now it's being reframed as if it's some kind of implant by the West and colonists and must be expunged. A country of nearly 9 million people born there for multiple generations expunged. It's really grotesque and it's deeply, deeply problematic that the next generation is getting taught such falsehoods. But there we are right now. I, I think you're right. And I, I think it's concerning and I think hate is spreading around. You look at the college campuses from from California to New York to our very own backyard at George Washington University. I don't know if you saw uh, what happened there a few days ago with the students on the library campus uh, putting up the signs that or on the library, I should say, on campus, uh, putting up the visual sign from the river to the sea. Um, thanks to our our martyrs talking about the Hamas fighters. Did, did you mm-hmm. did you see that? And, and George Washington released a statement. Yep. And boy, it 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 re- received a lot of rebuke from a lot of people, Jewish people and non-Jewish people, saying this is not enough. What are you guys doing as a college to protect your Jewish students? Joe, what advice would you give to institutions? who seemingly are afraid to criticize Hamas. I mean, <laughs> I think it was either UCLA where a bunch of their uh, professors, I believe in their one of their minority programs of, of different ethnic programs, I should say, uh, signed a joint statement telling the university not to, you, to call Hamas a terrorist group because it was insensitive to say that. And I was baffled by that. I'm sorry. The profound ignorance and the depths of that ignorance knows no bottom. Um, Joe Biden said it best. Hamas is not and are not the Palestinians. It is not the Palestinian people. And, you know, I, I just I laugh because it's like sometimes you better just shut your mouth. Right. Like that's all I can say. Just like shut, shut your mouth. If you don't know what you're talking about, don't talk. Hamas is a terrorist organization whose charter is dedicated to wiping out and murdering all Jews, period. It is dedicated to the elimination of the state of Israel. That means a mass extermination, a Holocaust. Their leaders are doing interviews to this day talking about how important martyrdom is and the millions died in resistance around the world. And if that's what it takes, that's what it'll take. I mean, 
who the hell thinks that that is nothing but a death cult? And how does that help the actual people of Palestine who deserve a state, who deserve freedom, who deserve peace? It doesn't. Hamas, in fact, has been diverting for 15, 20 years foreign aid given to the Gaza Strip to build an underground network of tunnels to supply uh, themselves and fortify themselves for an onslaught that they're going to get and to launch rockets. They don't care about the Palestinian people. This is not a resistance. This is a death cult. A resistance is Mahatma Gandhi. A resistance is Martin Luther King. A resistance is the use of arguments and peace and persuasion. Hamas didn't send a diplomatic letter to Tel Aviv in a rocket asking for peace negotiations. They sent people over the border to slit the throats of babies. You know, I'm old enough to remember in the mid-90s, there was a peace process called the Oslo process between Israel and the Palestinians. And Israel had a prime minister, Shimon Peres, who had won Mm -hmm. a Nobel Prize. He was the prime minister because the previous prime minister named Yitzhak Rabin, who also won the Nobel Prize, was assassinated by a right-wing Israeli for, for pursuing peace. That's how dedicated Israel was to peace. Their prime minister was murdered for pursuing peace, and the next one up had won a Nobel Prize. And he was engaged in negotiations with the Palestinians. And guess what Hamas did? He was engaged with the PLO leadership, the Fatah party, Yasser Arafat. Guess what? Hamas did. They went into Tel Aviv and they committed suicide bombings and they blew up buses and they killed scores of Israelis. That's what they did. They undercut him. And then guess who won the election as a result of that terror? Benjamin Netanyahu. So I can't handle people saying this is Israel's fault. For example, there's no diplomacy. Therefore, Hamas had to do it. That's not true. Hamas is a spoiler. They intend to prevent peace. They intend to harm their people because they do not want to live in peaceful coexistence with the state of Israel. Joe, I'm going to take a quick break. Hold that thought because I, I think you're, I want to follow up. Guys, this is the Shermichael Singleton Show, and we're talking about uh, the rising threat of anti-Semitism in the United States of America and around the globe, as well as Hamas attacking uh, Israel, killing over 1,400 uh, Jewish individuals, men, women, and children. My guest, Joel Rubin, dad, husband, Democrat for Congress in Maryland's 6th Congressional District, former Obama Deputy Assistant Secretary of State, national security expert, Jewish leader, and CenterClip creator. Check out CenterClip.com. We'll be right back after this. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. 
Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The real short of it is, is that Israel was engaged directly in negotiations with the Palestinians in the 90s on a peace process sponsored by the United States called the Oslo Process that formed, that created the Palestinian Authority that still governs the West Bank today. But Hamas hated that because that was moving to normalization between Israel and the Palestinians where there would be two states, meaning Israel and Palestine, living in peace side by side. And Hamas upended that by launching waves of suicide bombers into Tel Aviv and into Israel proper, killing scores of Israelis, it politically damaged Shimon Perez, the prime minister who was negotiating peace. It made him look like a fool. And he lost the election to Benjamin Netanyahu, the Israeli prime minister, who is essentially still prime minister today from the political party in Israel that opposed peace negotiations. So mm-hmm. Hamas won. And so, you know, that's what Hamas stands for. They don't stand for peace and reconciliation and negotiation. In fact, just because people don't understand this, and this is to your point about college campuses, they don't know the actual history or facts. God bless. I'm old enough again to remember. So, 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 so Joe, yes. pause there. Uh, pause yes. there. Explain the history and facts, because I had a debate with someone on a show I was co-hosting. I'm not even going to get into the program. I'm not even going to name the individual, but boy, it made me irate. And she kept talking about Israel, you know, being colonialist and there's apartheid state in Gaza. And she went on and on and on. And and I disputed those facts. But go ahead and give the history so that people can actually understand, because I think there's this prevailing counter narrative that's growing that Israel is somehow almost enslaving. I've heard one person use this term, an activist in a a very viral video, enslaving the Palestinian people. So I am going to say this as a person of the left, and maybe that will give me a little bit of credibility. (laughs) As (laughs) As a person of the Democratic Party and the progressive side of the Democratic Party, who has, again, spent a lot of my time working to advance peace between Israel and the Palestinians. I helped found an organization called J Street, which is the alternative to APAC, the traditional pro-Israel lobby, J Street's to the left. I was the Sanders campaign's Jewish outreach director. I am not a shrinking violet on these issues in the Jewish community. And I'm respected for that because I care about Israel and I care about peace. So I'm going to say something very direct, and it, it is it is accurate. Israel is not a colonist enterprise. There are no slaves in Israel. It is not a white supremacist state. Israel is a country that was founded in 1948 as the Jewish state. Today, nearly 25% of Israel's citizens are Palestinian because many Arabs at that time, were in the state after its founding. And it was founded in 1948 after the United Nations voted to recognize it as a state. And the Arabs rejected an opportunity then to have a state and started a war against the Jews of Palestine. So the Israelis then created the state. Today, a quarter of the citizens 
are not Jewish. They are Arabs. They are mostly Muslim with a significant chunk of Christians. And of the Jews in the country, more than half actually descend from Jewish communities from the Arab world. So now what do you say, Joel, to people who say, but they removed the Palestinians from their original land to give this land to the Israelis. What do you say to that line of argument? I say that there is accuracy in that. It is not at all the exact way that they describe it. I say that the Israelis, the Jews who settled in and moved in when the Turks were controlling that land in the Ottoman Empire, and then the British after 1917, there were Jewish communities spread throughout. There was communal violence between Jewish communities and Arab communities, as well as peace. And it was a disputed territory. And that it was so disputed that the British didn't want to be controlling it anymore and asked the United Nations to devise a plan so they could leave. And it was called a partition plan that the United Nations agreed in 1947-1948, after studying it, would have to result in two states for two peoples. The Jews agreed. And the Arabs did not. And so that's what happened. And then there was a civil war and a war of Israel becoming an actual state. And that's what happened. <laughs> Those are facts. Um, and, and, and so, you know, when you fast forward in this conflict, you know, you have multiple wars for Israel's survival in 1967, 1973, 1956, before that, on and on and on. Even mm-hmm. fast forward to 2005, which I think is a very important thing to talk about. Uh, Israel is not occupying the Gaza Strip. You, you, you hear this sort of language. They're occupying, occupying. They are not occupying the Gaza Strip. They actually left in 2005, and they handed it over to the Palestinian Authority to govern. The Palestinian Authority, led by Mahmoud Abbas, is still president of the Palestinian Authority, ran it for about a year before Hamas in an election won an election and then was prevented from taking power. And then there was an internal civil war between these two Palestinian factions, Hamas and Fatah, the Palestinian authorities, Fatah and Fatah was kicked out thousands, hundreds of of Fatah uh, leaders killed, thrown off building rooftops, Throat slitted, and they were kicked out to the West Bank, the other part. And Gaza has been ruled by Hamas since 2007 without any Israelis there, period. Israel has blockaded it since then, largely because Hamas has posed a threat, if you could imagine that, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and, and Hamas has refused to engage in dialogue with Fatah for a unity government to negotiate peace because they don't want to. So that's what we have now. So the Palestinians, I am a firm believer, there must be a two-state solution. There must be negotiations with the Palestinians. Mm -hmm. There must be a result. And I have been a firm voice opposing Benjamin Netanyahu's policies towards the Palestinians and the critic of the settlers of Israel in the West Bank who are preventing that outcome. But that has, in my mind, nothing to do with the assault by Hamas that was planned for a year to attack innocent civilians in order to ensure that the conflict gets worse rather than better. And and so with, with that in mind, what can we do? And I know you also care, every Jewish friend that I have, and I have many, uh, particularly on the Republican side, that I've spoken to about what's going on, all of them say, hey, we, we want to help the Palestinian people form yes. 
a government. And one buddy, and I didn't know this, Joel, and this was just my ignorance of not understanding this this conflict fully. He said, he said, Shermichael, we actually tried to help them form a government. I think he said 16 years ago, Joel, correct me if this is not accurate. 16 years ago, and I believe he said that a majority chose a different type of government. Is that accurate? Is that not accurate? He might have been referring to this civil war in Gaza that I was talking about. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be blunt. I think that the government of Israel, the state of Israel, has, under Netanyahu, done very little to try to help the Palestinians have a functioning government. Mm. I also think that the Palestinian leadership is incredibly corrupt and has failed to deliver for their people. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a problem in the West Bank, and, and, and I'm sorry for the listeners because it's so um, nebulous, but uh, Israel is Israel, and then the Gaza Strip is to the southwest, and the West Bank is to the east. Now, the West Bank is a spot of territory that for Jews is the biblical homeland of the Jews. It's where the more religious ties of the Jewish people to the land of Israel reside. So what we have had in the from the Israeli side, the problem is religious extremism on our side and settlers moving into the West Bank, the historic Jewish homeland, to settle communities there, even though that is the territory where most of the Palestinians live and where they should have a state. And so the settlements have, I believe, become a problem for the ability of the Palestinians to get a state. And that has, those settlements have been encouraged by Netanyahu. So he has not done his level best to help create conditions for diplomacy. All that said, what we have seen from Hamas, from the Gaza Strip and elsewhere, has been nothing short of attempts to annihilate and destroy Israeli civilians and prevent peace. And what they did is so heinous that they're now going to get a massive Israeli assault into their territory. And then the global reaction, rather than understanding that Hamas has created this problem, is starting to make these chants that all of Israel should be gone. And that's where we're running into problems. Joe, do do you think it's wise, as a national security expert, is it wise for Netanyahu to move forward with this ground invasion, or should that be avoided? This is um, an incredible I know that's t- a tough question. box. No, no, no. Look, I'll just try to lay it out in succinct 20 seconds as I can. The Middle East is a tinderbox. President Biden knew what was coming, and he got out ahead of it, thankfully, by sending aircraft carrier groups to the eastern Mediterranean to try to prevent any third parties like Iran and Hezbollah from getting involved early. Now, they are threatening to get involved. They're poking and prodding, but it calmed things down to a certain extent. I think that ultimately the Israelis are going to have to make an incursion that gets them a sense that they have demobilized or demilitarized Hamas in a manner that Hamas cannot threaten them directly Mm -hmm. as it has been. The challenge for Israel will be twofold. First, how long will that take? Because global opinion will be withering. And, you know, will they, how long will they want to physically stay in Gaza, which they really don't want to? They've not returned since 2005, except for a brief interruption in 2014. They really don't want to control Gaza. And then the second part, which everyone is asking, is what's the plan for the day after? Who could actually govern Gaza if not Hamas? Could it be the Arab League? I don't think they're really interested. 
Could it be the Palestinian Authority? Perhaps, but they're weak. Who would do it? Would it be Israel? Heaven forbid, right? I mean, that's a reoccupation. But that is the critical question. That's where President Biden has been pushing and asking, and it's the right thing that he's been asking because Israel needs to think through these answers uh, just as we needed to think through the end state of our invasion of Iraq, and we didn't really, um, and it cost us. And so those are the big questions, but I do think for their own ability to feel secure and deter near-term military threats, they're going to have to make an incursion, certainly into the northern half of the Gaza Strip. And in about the five minutes or so that we have left, Joe, what do you want people to understand about what's going on in, in this conflict? I have seen a lot of people say, if you're a person of color, you should be on the side of the Palestinians. I mean, there's just a lot of racialized, racially charged language. How do you react to that? What do you say to people who aren't as familiar with the nuances of this because it's a very complicated history and they're saying, well, Hey, the Palestinian people are Brown people. You should be on the side of the Brown marginalized people. I mean, I've literally seen tweets mm-hmm. and posts and videos about that. And, and, and so I've seen people of color in the United States trying to wrestle with, well, how do I make sense of all of this? Is this even important to me? Uh, what do you say in the last five minutes to folks who are just wondering where do they fall? Who should they support? What should they think? I think what we all have to do is support peace. And you don't support peace by picking one side over the other and saying we're for eliminating them or for eliminating the other. But to get to peace, you have to be clear-headed about the threats. And the threat in this case is absolutely coming from a terrorist organization that is committed to murder and that is committed to violating human rights, that has to be absolutely eradicated. But from an American perspective, what we have to make sure we do is not fall into the simplistic traps, the oversimplification, as I was sort of describing a moment ago. Israelis are people of color. If you go to Israel, you're going to see 50,000 people from Ethiopia, many of whom are 50,000 Ethiopian Jews, many of whom are serving the Israeli Defense Forces, people from Morocco, from Egypt. You're going to see Palestinian Israelis. These simplistic boxes that people want to live in do not function. Mm-hmm. And for the, the Jewish community to hear the words as if this is some kind of process for genocide and elimination, you're trying, you're, you, those are words of deep trauma, as we were talking about at the beginning, for the Jewish community. That is not the goal here. The goal here is security for Israel and the Palestinians. The long-term way to get there is peace between both, where they both share the land, and where they both have states to call their own. That's the goal. And who's preventing that? There are people preventing that right now in front of us, and it's called Hamas. And there is a diplomatic problem as well with the Israeli right wing that must be dealt with too, but it can't be dealt with in a manner that actually gets us to peace when one side is doing as we're watching, committing acts of mass murder. So peace is the goal for the American people. Pick the goal of supporting peace. Do not take the position of supporting destruction of one side over the other. But we have to remember on 911 when we were attacked by Al Qaeda, 
We didn't offer them peace treaties and say, oh, it's our fault that you blew up the Twin Towers. No. We made sure that we eliminated the threat. Now, I would argue that we got off track by that invasion in Iraq in a big way. But we were not talking to Al-Qaeda saying, thank you for coming here and blowing up the Twin Towers. It's our fault. No. We said, we're going to take you out. That's how we're going to move the world forward. And I think that's how Americans need to think about this. I think you're absolutely right. Joel Rubin, my guest today, he's a Democrat for Congress in Maryland's 6th Congressional District. Again, he's running for Congress, Maryland's 6th Congressional District. He's a former Obama Deputy Assistant Secretary of State, a national security expert, and a Jewish leader. He's also a creator for CenterClip. Check them out, centerclip.com. Uh, Joel, what is your website where people can find out more about your candidacy and the other good things that you're doing? Thanks, Michael. It's rubinformaryland.com, R-U-B-I-N-F-O-R, maryland.com. Thanks. Uh, thanks for letting me share that. Rubinformaryland.com, guys. Again, that's R-U-B-I-N-F-O-R, Maryland. Now, if you don't know how to spell that, then you need help. <laughs> that's rubinformaryland.com. Follow me on Twitter at Joel Martin Rubin. <laughs> Again, on Twitter, that's at Joel Martin Rubin, at J-O-E-L-M-A-R-T-I-N-R-U-B-I-N on Twitter, Joel Martin Rubin. And again, that's RubinforMaryland.com. Joel Rubin, I appreciate you for joining me. This is the Shermichael Singleton Show. We're going to take a quick break, and then I am coming back uh, with my thoughts on the next Speaker of the House. This is the Shermichael Singleton Show. We'll be right back after this. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. RubenforMaryland.com and follow him on X, formerly Twitter, at Joel Martin Rubin. I want to talk a little bit about the new uh, Speaker of the House. Um, the new Speaker of the House, and a lot of people have a lot of opinions about Mike Johnson. Um, I've had an opportunity to know Mike Johnson for quite some time, and while he and I don't agree necessarily on everything as it pertains to the former president, it's kind of hard when you've known someone for a long time publicly or privately rather. And then in politics, it makes it complicated. People say, well, why would you support this person because of this with Trump or X, Y, and Z things. And as I told a buddy of mine who texted me, I said, dude, I've known this guy for a long time. 
before any of this stuff. And so because I disagree with someone on this particular issue, am I now to just throw away a relationship I've had for a very, very long time? Um, that That's kind of hard to do. And so, again, we may have our differences, but the beautiful thing about this country is that people are entitled to have differences. They just are. And I, I just think my hope is that as things move forward in this country, my hope is that we get better in terms of discussing politics. My hope is that we get better at having disagreements. Uh, and my hope is that, you know, the truth is not subjective. Like a, a lot of people view truth through the lens of relativism. I think that is going on a lot these days in various ways in our political infrastructure. On, on the right, you have it in terms of the election being stolen and all of this stuff, which I don't agree with or nor believe. Then on the left, you have it as it pertains to a whole different set of issues. And you, we could debate and argue which one holds more weight than the other. Obviously, conservatives would say it's worse on the left than those uh, liberals or Democrats would say it's worse on the Republican conservative side. I will leave that for you to decide for yourself uh, what you believe is, is the worst of two evils. But the reality is that things in the country just haven't gotten better. They just have not. They've, they've only gotten worse. And you look at what's going on in the international community that right now you have Ukraine fighting for its survival with Russia. A lot of Americans, Democrats and Republicans are stating voters, that is. We've done enough. We don't want to send any more money to Ukraine. We have a lot of issues in the United States. Yeah, what's going on in Israel and Hamas, and we're expected to send $100 billion, potentially more, based on President Biden's request. Some people aren't very happy about that. We have a serious immigration problem in the country right now. A lot of people are coming into the country trying to seek asylum from really terrible, treacherous places. I mean, the world is just not doing well right now, guys. It really isn't. And whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, my hope is that we should all be able to acknowledge that. And that's why it's important right now for in this country for us to have strong leaders uh, with a vision to lead the country forward. And that, in my opinion, isn't Joe Biden. And I don't necessarily know if it's President Trump either, former President Trump either. I think we need new leadership. Now, obviously, it's going to be one of the two men. But I think most Americans just want a fresh start in a new direction. They just want to reset. They want to re reset from all the vitriolic rhetoric we're hearing. They want to reset from all the hate we're seeing, all the bigotry we're seeing, all the anti-Semitism we're seeing. People just want a fresh start and a new beginning. But the new beginning, in my opinion, starts with the voters, whether you're Democrat or Republican. The government we choose will be the government we have rather will be no more, no less than the government we choose. That's just what it is. I've seen a lot of people criticize Biden about supporting Israel and saying, I won't vote for Biden. These are the same people who say they dislike Trump. Well, you know, vote for Biden, Trump may win. If if that is your of your position. I hear a lot of Republicans saying, I don't like Trump, but I don't like Biden, so I'll stay home. I'm not gonna vote for either. So one of the two will ultimately win. 
there are enough voting age people in this country who, if they were to come together, they could really become disruptive to the political process. And by that, I mean, we could choose a third party candidate. People say third party candidate isn't viable. It's not because we don't have the numbers in terms of enough people being able to vote for a third party can a candidate. It's not that at all. It's because not enough people in this country actually vote. If all of the voting age people, 18 and older, who don't vote Democrat or Republican, came together and said, we are unhappy with this process, we want to choose somebody else, we don't want Joe Biden, we don't want Donald Trump, we don't care about party labels, we just want someone who's a neutral, objective arbiter of the political system as a whole, someone who's objective about the legislative process as a whole and will lead the country through the lens of being objective. And that's almost impossible to do. Politics is complicated. It really is. And it is personal for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. Now, as a strategist, I've never really looked at politics through the personal lens in terms of getting emotionally upset. I just realize you just have to work harder at creating and fostering the environment that you want and, and being persuasive enough to enough people bring that environment to fruition. That's not to say that things will come easy. That's not to say that the environment is going to happen overnight, that, that this idea of peace and harmony and great aesthetics and our cultural uh, dynamics will all of a sudden appear. That's not to say any of those things. Governance is hard. Democracy is hard. It really is. This experiment that we have been playing around with for quite some time now is very, very unique. And with all of our challenges and all of the imperfections that do indeed exist, we have pulled it off for the most part. It's also delicate, and I think we've learned that over the past couple of years, how delicate it is. So far, we have still survived, but perhaps you wonder for how long. I mean, is there anyone out there who really believes that this idea of, of a democratic republic would last forever? I mean, nothing lasts forever. All things at some point must come to an end. We know that through physics and science. We know this to be true, unless you're talking about the universe and ever-expanding. But even then, there are theories that the universe destroys itself and recreates itself again. I don't want to get into the complexities of that, but it just goes to my point that all things at some point must come to an end. And so with the time that we do have, what are we going to do to maximize this moment in time that we have as a society. What will be the impact of the United States of America in 2,000 years? Just as we study uh, great philosophers in epistemology and ontology and aesthetics and ethics and morals and logic and all of these things from the uh, Greeks and the Romans who existed thousands of years ago. 
Well, we have made a mark so indelible on human existence that people will study us too a thousand plus years from now into the future. That's something to really think about. I certainly hope that is indeed the case. But in order for that to be the case, it's up to us to do our work today to leave the mark for tomorrow. Me, you, and everybody else in between. And so with that in mind, I want you to think about this as I get ready to close the show. Knowing that our time is limited, not only in existence as individuals, but even our time as a superpower, if you will, it is limited. Every superpower has its run. None of them have lasted forever. The Ottomans aren't still around. Are they? The great Chinese empires aren't still around. The British Indians aren't still around. And the Greeks and Romans and et cetera, they aren't still around. The Aztecs aren't still around. Mesopotamia is not still around. The great African empires aren't still around. None of those empires, societies, as great as they were, are still around. And so at some point, nor will we. And so when you crystallize that idea in your mind and you accept the reality that this time of dominance is limited, my hope is that it puts things into perspective for you so that you ask yourself, what can I do with this limited time to be a part of leaving an indelible mark on human society? So 2,000 years from now, when people look back and study great modern societies and civilizations. They say, wow, there was something special and unique about the United States of America, despite all of its struggles and imperfections. Look at what they left us that we're still studying today, that we still hold near and dear today. That is the question for those of us today, for those in the future who look back on the past. This is Sher Michael Singleton, and you're listening to the Sher Michael Singleton Show, and this has been a Centerclip Saturday. Check out centerclip.com. My guest was Joe Rubin. Check him out, rubinformaryland.com. You can also follow him on X, formerly Twitter, at Joe Martin Rubin. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Take care, and I'll see you on the next one. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. 
For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.